This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our November 9th, 2020 edition of Invest Talk. And, you know, we're speeding towards the end of the year, a little over a month and a half left. It's been quite the year. Uh, for the most part, I think we're past all the, the major news, though. Uh, right, we're past earnings season, we're past the election uh, in, in most people's minds. Uh, but there's a lot to discuss, a lot of moving parts, right, as uh, we prepare for uh, a different government. Uh, in some ways, it'll be the same. In other ways, it will be different. And that can affect various industries in different ways. Uh, the announcement today of the Pfizer vaccine uh, data certainly is a welcoming sign for, for most the market was kind of split, and we'll discuss on a little bit later on what that actually means for particular segments of the market because it's definitely not wasn't cheered by all segments. Let's just say that. And we know that there's likely to be volatility as the markets start to figure out right what 2021 is going to look like. It's a lot of uncertainty, right? Yes, this data was good from Pfizer, but it doesn't mean that it was approved either. Remember, this is just the first set of data. Certainly can have more setbacks. There could be another vaccine that is approved or comes out with good data. And then you have the future of what policy will look like and how that impacts each sector. So we're going to talk about all of these things and more and whatever is on your mind, most of all, most importantly. I'm Justin Klein, and today in this program and podcast, I am going to do my best, as usual, to give you unbiased answers and perspective to your finance and investment questions. I know you need strategies to deal with the current environment, and you need to be able to pivot in the right direction. So that's why I'm taking your calls right now at 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 to be able to answer those questions and hopefully give you a little bit more perspective on where the market is now headed. Let's check in on the market right now. You had a day early in the morning up big. Up, the Dow was up over 1,000 points, but it only closed up about 834 points, which still is a nice day. But you had the S&P... Ended only at 41 points, a little over 1%. And the NASDAQ, COMPQ, that was down 181 points. So almost 2% on the NASDAQ. And this is the major pivot. Is the reopening trade on? It very well could be. Post-election, we had a reversal of the reopening trade, of the value over growth, just for a few days, and then boom. Monday, today, comes a reversal of the reversal, right? Value stocks absolutely crushed the growth side of the market 
as the expectations for an economy reopening on top of potential stimulus should bring some sort of boost to the bread and butter of the economy. Not the tech side, not the exciting side, but your industrial names, your retail names, etc. So a lot of the tech names were falling out of bed today. So we're going to discuss, uh, we're obviously going to discuss that. But our main focus point today is going to be on housing. And housing stocks were one of the sectors that had a very, very bad day. If you look at ITB, which is the home builder ETF, that was down 3.9 uh, points. That's about 6% on the day. It's a rough day, 6-7%. A lot of that has to do with higher interest rates, but we're going to discuss what that could mean and how that is likely to feed into the housing market. Next, I want to get into a divided government, right? We're likely to have a divided government, uh, barring some surprise down there in Georgia, which has uh, you know, two runoffs and you know, probably will split, but certainly could go either way. Uh, but either way, we're probably going to have a split government. What does that mean for markets? What is the history of market returns under different regimes of you know who's in the White House, who has majority in the Senate, as well as the House. So we're going to discuss that. Next, do junk bonds work long term? We're going to talk about the volatility in the junk bond market as a lot of people are flocking to higher yielding securities, riskier securities in the bond market in a near zero interest rate environment. Even though rates are up today, people are still looking for even juicier returns. So we're going to look at that asset class, help you understand the longer term volatility as well. And then lastly, if we have time, we're going to touch on some trends post pandemic. But first, let's go right to our first caller at 888-99-CHART. Hi, I have a question about EXPI. Uh, they came out with their earnings today and they have increased 100% over Q3 in 2019. So as a newbie investor, I'm just trying to understand why the stock is 3% down today with earnings over 100%. Thank you very much. All right, I get this question a lot, so much uh, in today's market, especially in an era of growth stocks and narrative First off, the pivot tour away from growth companies, companies that are that have very high multiples. And this is one of them. This is EXP World Holdings. And this is a cloud-based residential real estate brokerage company. Okay, so taking the traditional brokerage model, putting on its head and using technology for to, to create a brokerage firm where you don't need physical space, right? You just need the right platform for the agents. And that's basically uh, what they do. And it's a $2.8 billion market cap. And here's the issue. Enterprise value to EBITDA is 288. 288. So from a profit standpoint, they are not making nearly enough profits to support the valuation. Second off, you talk about earnings. Yes, earnings were up 100%. Revenues were up 100%. Earnings up 767%. Now in now profitable. Problem is, clearly the market was expecting better. Market had priced in a better result. Remember, headlines are simply headlines. Markets are not obliged to follow the headlines. So 
it just didn't meet internal expectations for the market. The market had priced in even better results than they gave. And that's the end of the story. 88899 chart, 88992-4278. We're going to head to our first break, but I'd love to hear whatever's on your mind, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. The fourth quarter is moving fast. There's an autumn chill in the air and uncertainty in the markets. So you've got finance and investment questions for Steve and Justin. And the phone lines never close. Call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Next up, we're going to head over to San Jose and talk to David. He's looking at Las Vegas Sands. Are you looking to buy it or do you own it? I'm looking to uh, buy it. And uh, if now uh, was a good entry point or should I wait for uh, pullback? Well, I will say this. This is near the top of our list in the consumer space, in the uh, in the reopening trade. Las Vegas Sands is definitely one of our favorites in the marketplace. So I like what you're looking at. It is a little overbought here. Uh, but anywhere in the, the low 50s, to me, is a very strong place to buy. Right now we're at 47, or sorry, 57.87 at the close today. A little bit, you know, decently off the highs from today, which was a little over $60 a share. I could see a retrenchment after this kind of, uh, I think, short covering trade and uh, a lot of reversals from previous positioning in the marketplace. Uh, but on any pullback here, you know, we're buyers. So I would. I would be picking up, like I said, anywhere in the low 50s is a great entry point. Let's go to James in New York looking at RGA, which is... Yeah, so I, I bought this um, about $70 per share maybe four months mm-hmm. ago. Um, done extremely well with it. I don't know at which point I should be looking to take profits um, since I'm close to doubling my principal investment um should i it's showing signs of strength should i keep it where it is or should i take profit well you're looking at reinsurance group of america for everybody else is this 8.6 billion dollar market cap company and it was up along with a lot of the insurance companies in the marketplace today why because interest rates were up when interest rates are up it makes it easier for and more profitable for these insurance companies to invest their premiums, right? That's how they make money. They typically, they're they're making money on the investments, on the interest that they're earning on premiums before they pay those out in claims, right? So higher interest rates are typically very good for insurance companies. And this is a very diversified insurance company. One of the most, one of the more profitable ones in the marketplace. I like their business. I like reinsurance group of America. It's probably in my top five to seven insurance companies in the marketplace. We have a, we own a, call, a few for clients. This is not one of them, but it's probably you know the next tier down the list of the companies that we like uh, in the space. So, you know, I'm I would hold it to be honest with you. But a lot of that depends on what you think is going to happen with interest rates. Are interest rates going to break out here? Are are inflation expectations going to continue to rise? Is there going to be enough stimulus in the marketplace from government to keep the economy moving along? That's a question you have to ask yourself. If you think that there will be enough, you think inflation expectations will rise and interest rates will rise, this is something you want to be in. If you think that will reverse, 
then you take profits. So you have to decide what your stance is on the market here in the medium term. Okay. Thanks for the call. Now, from time to time, I like to take a few seconds to remind you that here on Invest Talk and at my company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, we operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. We are dedicated to that unbiased guidance every day on Invest Talk, and we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest in strategies that we implement for our clients, for ourselves as well. So I encourage you to take advantage of our offer for, to write a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, any type of video conferencing, we do it. Send us a message through investtalk.com or call our KPP financial offices in Irvine, California. No obligation. Just give us a call. We can talk. We can help you. We want to help you. Now, I can try to fit in another caller question here. I might have to finish the answer after the break, but let's try this right now. Hey, Justin. This is Bob. Always listening to you guys commuting home. Love the show. Can you shed some light on cryptocurrency? Bitcoin is just making a run right now. It's over 15000 almost 16000 now. I got a little bit invested in that. And would it be a good time to sell, or is it on another uh, bull run? I uh, look forward to your answer. Take care. Bye-bye. I'll give you the same answer I've been given for a while now. Now, first, I'll be frank. I was very skeptical of Bitcoin early on. And I still am somewhat skeptical. I still have my reservations about the technology, about security, uh, about the transactability of cryptocurrency and mainly Bitcoin. But I also see its potential place as a reserve asset, something that cannot be debased, cannot be printed like the central banks across the world are doing consistently. So for me, it's I have a very small percentage of my net worth in Bitcoin less than 1%, but enough to where it's a binary outcome. If it goes to $200,000 a coin, then I've, I have enough to make it worth my while. And that's what I would encourage everyone to do. Uh, and to have it as that insurance against a monetary system that is debasing everyone's money. So I would hold it for the long term, but make sure it's a very small percentage of your portfolio. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And I want to hear what is on your mind. Your participation is an important part of the mix. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. What a difference a year makes. You've got finance and investment questions. And Justin Klein is here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Let's head over to New Jersey, talk to Usher. He wants to talk about gold. Yes, hi, Justin. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Are you looking to buy some gold, or are you looking to understand your own position? Yeah, sort of the latter. So um, in the past few months, I've been a net buyer of gold and gold mining companies. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been Mm -hmm. holding pretty steady, but uh, today Pfizer came out with their you know, this huge news about vaccine and uh, they're, you know, planning to do for like an emergency uh, you know, use request by end of this year. And uh, with that news and then, of course, you know, overall view, you know, economy situation improving and, uh, you know, the talk about the stimulus, the next stimulus may not be that much. 
how do you see the uh, is the environment conducive for gold? Is it, you know, is it? Uh, I'm looking to maybe hold another, you know, for a mid mid term, maybe a year or two. Where do you see gold going in this uh, in this environment? Should I be selling or buying? Well, more? I'm still I so so. So there are three factors that influence gold prices in both short, medium, and long term. Now, short term, it has the, the, the biggest driver are real interest rates. So if inflation expectations are rising, right, and real interest rates start to go more negative, right, meaning if you're holding, say, treasuries, you're losing purchasing power because your inflation rate is higher than the treasury rate, that typically is very good for gold prices, okay? Then you also have the dollar, the value of the dollar, whether it's rising or falling, okay? Those are both kind of short to medium-term factors. Longer-term factors, or the most important longer-term factor, is the deficit, and structural deficits. And that's what we have now. We have a chronic fiscal structural deficit. Our debt is going to continue to rise because for a few reasons. First, our spending is too high. Tax receipts aren't high enough to, to cover it, right? Going into this year, we were at a trillion dollar deficit. Now we're going to be somewhere in the four trillion this year. And depending on how big the stimulus packages are next year, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three trillion. And that is a lot of money. Trillions, we're talking trillions of dollars now. And our jet to debt to GDP is past the level to where it's easy to pull out of it, right? The, the cost of the carry of the debt continues to compound and get bigger and bigger each year, as well as our off-balance sheet liabilities, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, et cetera. Uh, those off-balance sheet liabilities are now coming on balance sheet as more and more baby boomers retire, Okay. So the structural deficit in the longer term is, to me, the biggest driver of where gold is going to go. Now, in the short term, like over the past few months, you've had kind of a consolidation period. It was very overbought in the summer, and what you saw is interest rates rising. And that's another driver for gold to go down today was higher interest rates. But we know that the Fed can't let interest rates get too high. Must keep interest rates uh, at a modest level. Just look at housing, for example, right? This, the, the reaction that housing had to the higher interest rates, which is what I'll get to next is our focus point. But you can see that rates must stay low. The Fed knows that. And to me, all of these factors means medium to long-term gold is a vital part of any portfolio. Shorter term, two, three, four months, you can have the period like you've had over the past few months. Sideways, kind of consolidation. And to me, these are times to buy the dip. So I wouldn't be too worried about it. I know consolidation periods are not exciting, not very fun. But, you know, the next phase will be another April to August time, you know, time period where gold prices go nuts again. There will be a time period of that most likely in the coming couple of years. And you want to make sure you're invested for that. So I think... The gold market, for example, I bought some for new clients today on the dip. You want to buy the dip in these structurally bullish scenarios like gold has right now. Now, my focus point today concerns the story as mortgage rates jump, housing stocks have a split reaction to COVID 
vaccine. You saw a lot of home builders down big on this positive news. And there's a few drivers to that, right? So the housing stocks did not do very well because of higher interest rates mainly. That's the main reason. Number two, the other side of the real estate market, mainly the apartment REITs, for example, they did better for a couple of reasons. One, the cost of housing, cost of owning a home goes up. That's better for apartments, right? They benefit from that because it's harder to go out there and buy a home and you know break away from uh, the renter class. And on top of that, more and more of their tenants were, will be able to go back to work. Most of the people that are in the service industry are renters. They don't typically make enough money to buy a home. That's just in general. And so if they're going to be able to go back to work, it means they're also going to be able to pay rent as well. So this is what you saw in the market today and the, the trends in the real estate market for today. And I think that will hold for some time. And I think this was this is the catalyst to maybe have the the housing market weaken here into this into the winter and possibly into the spring as well. I'm Justin Klein. You're listening to Invest Talk, and you are not alone. Our podcast downloads show that we hit over 857,000 downloads in October. And Steve and I thank you for telling your friends and family members about our free investing and finance podcast. Now, I would love to hear from you. Give me a call at 99 chart. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E dot com hacker dot com it's monday and we've all been watching market volatility so you'll have important finance and investment questions you're in luck justin klein is here ready with answers but he's waiting for your questions call justin 888-99-CHART Hey, Steve or Justin, this is Ross in Chicago. Quick question, when you talk about payout ratio from earnings, are you using the EPS, the non-GAAP EPS, or are you using free cash flow payout ratio? I've heard some 
talk about the free cash flow payout ratio as being more accurate, but I was just curious, what do you use when you talk about the dividend payout ratio from earnings? Fantastic show. Love what you guys are doing, and I appreciate all your hard work. Thank you. If you just say the payout ratio, I'm using gap earnings. That's what our system uses. Uh, but we also have metrics. We call it the cash dividend payout ratio. You can call it the free cash flow dividend payout ratio. That's what I like to use because I like to look at cash flow. To me, cash flows are far more important than what some accounting metric is. And that's what an earnings per share is. It's an accounting metric. There are plenty of non-cash items that are included or excluded in an earnings number. Cash flow is a lot less ambiguous. And so I like to use cash dividend payout ratio. So going back to what I have up right now is that previous caller of the reinsurance group, they have a 2.6% forward-looking yield. Their payout ratio is 34% based on earnings. But their cash dividend payout ratio is only 5%. So they can easily afford the dividend based on their cash flows. So don't get caught up in uh, the payout ratio. I like to focus a little bit more, a lot more actually, on the cash flow payout ratio. And that's what you're speaking of. Uh, I like using that metric. Let's go to Justin in Reno. Wants to talk about Pfizer. Hi, how are you? Well, well, you uh, do you own it? Or are you looking to buy it? Um, I bought it, um, and then I bought more today, just with with the news. And I was just confused because it was so there was so much volume, like two hundred something million in volume, and it still went down. Mm-hmm. So I guess I don't know how stocks go up. I thought with everyone buying today that it would be going up, not down. Well, there was a lot of expectation, me included, that Pfizer would be one of the best candidates, just the type of vaccine that they were trying to develop. It had less issues than many of the other ones. There's a few others that also are promising as well. And I put Pfizer up there. My issue with the vaccine betting game is that this is going to be more of a public good, treated more as a public good. The governments around the world are not going to allow, I think, these drug companies to gouge the the public and really earn huge profits off of this. Uh, now Pfizer will earn some money off this. Uh, they already said it'll be free for for uh, for patients. Uh, I'm sure a lot of that will come from government funding, etc. Uh, but you know this this still was up on the day two dollars and eighty cents, uh, about seven percent or so. But it did fade from the high around forty dollars a share. So it if had a nice fade of uh, about about 7%, about half that move. Um, so to me, I still like Pfizer. It's okay. Solid, solid company. Uh, it's not my favorite in the drug space, but I like it. Um, but I wouldn't be buying Pfizer simply because of this vaccine. That's my take. Thanks for the call, Justin. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. We have about 20 minutes left in the show to get your call in. Now, one of the slightly unexpected results of the election was a split government. 
right? Most likely, right? We saw those runoffs in Georgia. Certainly could go either way. Typically, most runoffs lean Republican. But based on the numbers, it'll probably be split one seat for both. And that would mean a divided government. And mo- the, the general consensus is that a split government leads to less extreme policy changes. And longer term, if you look at the gains of a split government, it's slightly better under actually a unified government. Since 1928, there's been virtually no difference in annual returns between the two. In the 45, let's see, in the 45 years, the same party controlled Congress in the White House, right? A unified government. The average return for the S&P was 7.45%. In the 46 years since 1928, that there was a split government average 7.26%. So slightly worse. But probably not enough. That, that's not enough to really come to any conclusion. Now, investors post-election are betting that this Republican Senate will limit potential tax increases and stimulus coming out of Washington. Now, tech stocks were up last week on the bet that there was less antitrust oversight. Right When you have two guys, we're such a polarized world where if one side proposes some sort of legislation, the other side almost automatically opposes it. Right? The only thing that's bipartisan right now is maybe China. That's probably about it. And healthcare stocks rallied on the lower chance of a bigger change to the government health plans. Also, regional banks, treasury yields, and municipal bonds, they all sold off because of potentially less stimulus, right, to get to those governments, local governments. Now, going back to 1929, the most common power structure in Washington has been Democrats controlling the White House, and uh, as well as both chambers of Congress, and that happens... In those 34 years, average 9.4%. It's pretty good. So unified government under the Democrats actually has done fairly well. The next most common was a division in which the Republicans controlled the White House and Democrats oversaw both houses of Congress. That didn't do too well. Only 4.9% over those 22 years. The best divided government return was on average under a Democrat president and a Senate and Republican House of Representatives, but that was only under a four-year period under Obama. That was 13.6%. So you kind of have to throw that out. In no time frame, however, when Democrats controlled the White House and the House and Republican held the Senate. So this hasn't really happened before. And so it's very hard to know exactly the end result. But we know that policy is going to change. It's just what sectors are going to favor. And I think today was a big shot across the bow for the growth side of the market and positive for the value side. Now, let's keep things moving straight back to our Invest Talk Voice Bank from a call from Texas. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Adam again from Texas. Thanks for taking my call. I am calling about stock symbol 
AHT, Ashford Hospitality Trust. So I was thinking about getting a position in this and the thesis behind it being that since they uh, are read for high-end hotels, that as soon as the coronavirus uh, vaccine comes out, that there will be increased interest in that uh, part of the market. But I'd love to hear what your guys' take is on it. I appreciate it very much. Have a good day. All right, looking at AHT, and hopefully he maybe pulled the trigger before the market today. This was up a whopping 266% today. And this is because what they do is, is they real estate investment trust, but they invest in the debt of upscale hotel properties in the US. Okay. And so they're very leveraged. They, they, they lend to very the high risk area of the high end hotel space. And because of lower travel as well as business travel, most of all, the businesses that underline the debt are probably not doing so well. And this is a company, it's 52 week high was see $30.80. It's 52 week low, which last week was $1.27. Today it's at $4.73. So this is a very high risk way of playing the reopening trade. I don't hate it though. To be honest with you, I don't hate it. Too high risk for my blood, but if you're willing to take a lot of risk, this is the type of name that you could easily double or triple your money on in a short period of time, but can also still go bankrupt despite a vaccine, despite all that's going on. It has to make it to the other side. Is I would have to look at their debt maturity schedule. If their debt maturity schedule is beyond maybe 2022, then I would say, okay, this might have a chance. If not, and they face some sort of balloon payment on debt, this could be a bankruptcy position. So you really have to do your homework here on what their debt position looks like medium to long-term. Let's go to Farham in Dublin, following up on gold. Hi, Justin. Thank you for taking my call. Yes. Uh, sure. I have been building up a position in gold based on your advice, based on your advice mm -hmm. about since over a year now. Thank you for that. Um, mm -hmm. Now, question is, is, do you think the gold trend, upward trend, is it secular or is it tied to COVID and the fiscal stimulus? And would you advise taking some profits off the table in gold and gold miners? Well, the answer to the latter is obviously no. I kind of said that before. And uh, did COVID kind of supercharge the deficit and thus gold prices? Sure, absolutely. But like I said before, the, the deficit going into this year was still a trillion dollars before COVID and rising, right? Trump came, came to office with about five, a deficit of about $500 billion a year. And that you have the tax cuts, and that slowly increased every year to that trillion dollar mark in 2019. And so, and if you look at gold prices, the, I think the bull market actually started in 2016, and you had a you had a pullback uh, in 2017 into 2018. But starting in 2018, you started the reacceleration to the upside prices. So. No, uh, I, th I think this is absolutely secular, and a lot of that has to do with the deficit, right? Governments are not going to allow a nominal default. That's what history says, that they're not just going to, if you control the currency, you're not going to sit 
idly by and let a deflationary impulse bankrupt the country. So you're going to go the other way. If you need money, you print it. That's what they're doing. That's how they're, they're not going to default nominally. They're going to default on inflation. They're going to inflate their way out of debt. They did, we've done this before. In the 40s and 50s, we did this. We instituted a yield curve control. We used the war as a cover for central bank policy to institute yield curve control, keep real interest rates negative, meaning if you hold treasuries, you're losing your purchasing power, and inflated away the debt from the war. Guess what we're going to do now? We're going to inflate away the debt from COVID. That's the strategy. They haven't told you already. If you read between the lines, that's exactly what they're going to do. They've basically said that. That is why at every turn, Jerome Powell says, hey, Congress, we need fiscal support. Notice he's not saying, oh, you need to take money from here and to spend, etc." No, no, no. Fed's going to print, they're going to monetize the debt, and the government's going to spend. Once again, this isn't, this isn't rocket science. You just have to read what's happening. It's pretty obvious. It's not my policy prescription that I think is best. I'm just telling you what the reality on the ground is, and that's what's most important. Let's go to Vitaly in Atlanta. Also wants to talk about gold, but G-O-L-D, which is Barrick. Yes. Hi, Justin. Thanks for taking my call, um, and thanks for your show. No um, all my friends love it. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of my friends who listen to it. <laughs> um, Appreciate I it. So, you, uh, do you own Barrick? Are you looking to buy it? Yeah, I own it, and I'm just curious if we've kind of seen the peak of it, or, um, because I'm trying to see if I should keep holding it, or um, if it's a good time to start letting go. Once again, this goes back to just gold in general. Like I said, we've gone through a consolidation period through the summer. There was a little, it was overbought. You had some pretty, you had hands, people, investors chasing returns there. Uh, and you've had conditions over the past few months where real interest rates are rising modestly. Not a lot, but, you know, kind of chopping sideways to higher, which is not good for gold in the short term. As well as the dollar, even though the dollar is still relatively trending down, it's kind of been chopping sideways for the past call it three months, right? And those have been keeping a lid a little bit on gold prices and thus Barrick and a lot of the miners. This is just a consolidation period. That's how I feel. Now, I could be wrong. This could be, could have topped, sure, absolutely. I Certainly possible. But I've said before, three factors long-term have not changed. Our deficit is high it is rising. Even if we drop a little bit next year, it's still going to be in the trillions of dollars. We know that. And our deficit as a country is going to continue to rise. We're going to monetize it. This is the process that has already begun. And gold will be a beneficiary long term. And I still believe in the 2020s, the asset to own will be gold. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here: is to help you achieve your own particular version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at eight 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 ninety nine chart.
This is Invest Talk. Please tell your friends and family members that they can download our weekday podcast for free anytime at investtalk.com or iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And when you download and listen, please be sure to rate our podcasts. Our anytime listener line is open, and Steve and Justin are taking your calls now. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve. Good afternoon. This is Rob calling from Las Vegas. Thanks a lot for your show. I appreciate everything you and Justin do. I had a quick question about target-dated funds. What are some of the pros and cons associated with them? I've heard on the show before that you're not a big fan of them. I think they automatically move you into a little bit more of a conservative allocation as you approach retirement. What are some, I guess, some of the cons more or less than that you see with these particular funds? Thanks a lot for your answer, and I will listen on the next show. Thanks. Bye-bye. Maybe I'll go back and forth with some pros and some cons. Okay, so the pro is you don't have to think about it, right? Your emotions don't get involved in the asset allocation mix. What stocks do in the short term uh, isn't going to affect the asset allocation mix of of the target data funds. So that's a positive. One negative is they typically are only bonds and stocks, right? There's less to think about when it comes to allocating towards alternatives like a precious metals, right? Or to REITs or into foreign stocks versus U.S. stocks, right? Being able to broaden your diversification in asset classes. Another con is that typically you're stuck with that fund family. And I will tell you this, right? If you buy a Fidelity targeted fund or you buy a Vanguard or there's a lot of different fund families that have targeted funds, their main goal is to get more assets into all their other funds, right? You're, you're buying a targeted fund, but usually that targeted fund is investing in a smattering of the funds, the other funds within that fund family, right? This percentage in you know, their, their large cap growth fund, this percentage in their uh, junk bond fund, et cetera, et cetera, down the list. And it is a mechanism for them to get more assets just simply underneath their umbrella. Now, I'll tell you this. No fund family is great at everything. No fund family has a fantastic large cap growth fund and a, a junk bond fund and a foreign small cap value fund, etc. Usually they have a few good funds, a few average funds, a couple bad funds. It's, it's a mix. And you're going to get that mix in that target dated fund. Another con is it doesn't take into account the valuations of particular asset classes, whether overvalued historically, undervalued, etc. And you're just investing blindly, and the fund is investing blindly. Okay? And those are, I guess, kind of the pros and the cons. The pros mainly, you just don't have to think about it. It's not, it's not up to your, your whims and your emotions. And that's certainly a positive, but there's a lot of other drawbacks. So you, if you have education, if you do a little research, you can build your own targeted fund, your own particular strategy that's right for you and your goals, right? And you may be 45 years old. Your colleague might be 45 years old, but you both may have very different goals and risk tolerance levels. And therefore your strategy is likely to be different, should be different. But if you're in the same targeted fund at your work in your 401k, you're going to be invested exactly the same. And so it's kind of this one size fits all, and it doesn't really fit anybody that great 
but it can be better if you're then if you're not doing much at all you don't have the discipline you don't have the expertise so it's a little bit above that thanks for the call now lastly i want to jump into junk bond funds and with interest rates so low a lot of investors are jumping in to the junk bond market whether that's the muni market as well as the corporate bond market searching for yield now the study goes back to 1990. I think this is a little bit too short of a period, but it's still long enough to give you, you know, through different cycles and different kinds of markets, it's still going through a period where interest rates are falling consistently, which is not always the typical case, right? Especially us going forward. At best, interest rates are going to be flat, right? They maybe go up, but at best, going going flat. So since 1990, the average high yield debt fund has delivered. 7.1% with a volatility of 7.7%. Now, a short-term U.S. bond fund has delivered an average 3.8% with only a 1.5% uh, volatility over that time period. But the S&P, that's delivered only slightly better than that 7.1%, 7.8% over that time period, but with a much higher volatility, almost double, 14.5% versus 77 for the junk bond market. So, uh, junk bonds can be good for the long term, but short term, they go through bouts of sell-offs that you must understand and avoid, especially if that money is earmarked for something near term. I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. I'll return on Thursday. In the meantime, please remember to tell your friends and family members they can choose from over 100 archived Invest Talk podcasts for free over at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, as well as you can listen live or after hours on investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.